0: Welcome to Old Town New World. We're here at Millstone Pizza in Old Town Rock Hill, South Carolina. My name is Jason Broadwater. My name is Christopher. And we're here to talk about the ever-changing world of small town no. USA. Okay. So we have our, we've wrangled ourselves a guest to, for today's podcast. Oh, thank and, God. <laughs> And his name is Steven. Say hello Steven. Hey guys, happy to be here. Happy to be here. Absolutely, we appreciate you joining us. And um, we asked Steven to be here because uh, we did a project with Steven a while back. He was part of the uh, pilot project for the Ade Remus platform when we did um, work with Winthrop MBA students. And we had the um, MBA students, uh, they prototype business ideas as a lot of MBA students will do. And they did that using, um, the. they put their ideas into the Ade Remus platform and um, so they were able to prototype existing buildings in, in downtown Rock Hill, um, and put forward their ideas for uh, business ideas in those spaces. And Stephen was an MBA student. Uh, uh, you graduated right after that, No. Oh program? yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so right good. after that. Congratulations.
1: Thank you. Yeah. It feels very good to be done. Yeah. Excellent.
0: Well, uh, we'll get to that project and explain that. But that's how we met. And so, uh, what I want to do is, is first just kind of get to know you a little bit and sure. tell us. Uh, you said you're from Inman, South Carolina, right?
1: Yeah. The. The greatest town you've never heard of, right? <laughs> South Carolina, USA, exactly. And,
0: uh, tell us about the population, what you told us a second ago.
1: Uh, this isn't a verified fact, but I'm pretty sure there's more horses than people.
0: Yeah, I hear you.
1: Cows probably, too. Yeah, I well, believe now, it. Before we started the
2: podcast, you were saying the sign when you entered the town, <laughs> it says the population of horses. That was a joke? Or
1: no, it really like it does. Sort of says it really how does. How many horses <laughs> yeah. there are. <laughs> yeah, the sign has a horse population, and it's always rising. I think the human population <laughs> it's like a is always. Counter. Yeah, exactly. Ding. It's like the debt clock. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: That
2: actually sounds like a pretty cool town. Yeah. <laughs> horses
0: you, love it. Yeah. They recruit horses there. Like, yeah, it's That's great. the entire
1: town budget. Is that? Yeah. The horse ticker.
2: Yeah. A couple of those horses had to go hungry so they could afford that sign.
0: <laughs> no, no sugar cubes. So I'm guessing that the economy of Inman is is driven by rural horses. endeavor.
1: It is, and it's sort of absorbed by the greater Greenville-Spartanburg okay. area. So, you know, unless you want to ride horses or plant corn on your Saturday nights, you'd either go to downtown Spartanburg or downtown Greenville, which are two great cities. Yeah. Eh? I, I absolutely loved growing up in the shadow of those two towns.
0: So how far were you from Greenville, downtown Greenville? 20, 20 minutes. Really? That's yeah, great. Not yeah. far at all they really revitalized that city, the downtown of that city significantly.
1: Oh yeah, growing up there, before I moved uh, up here to this area to go to college, I mean it was great watching that city develop yeah. and grow and it's, you know, I'll do the segue for you, it's been great <laughs> watching Greenville evolve and then to move here and be here over the last few years to watch the things that this town is doing. Uh, I mean it's absolutely great to, uh, you know, watch it from the first, you know, the first levels.
0: Absolutely. There's a cool thing about the concept of kind of getting in on the ground floor I think it that's really a, you know, when I talk to the folks over at uh, the city about marketing um, this downtown to recru- for recruiting talent, and even when I travel and talk about that, you know, and people say, well, we don't really have anything going on yet. And I'm like, well, you know, you got to reframe that. I mean, you know, we have a certain amount going on here, but some towns don't have anything going on yet. Mm-hmm. You know? But it's about getting in on the ground floor can be really compelling.
1: You know. I think a lot of the stuff that's going on is sort of beneath the surface. I yeah, think, right. you know, if you're a drive by visitor, it might be a little hard to see what's going on. But I think if you live here in the area and mm. I think you make it a point to go out and meet people and do the things that are going on, I mean, there's, there's a, a ton of stuff going on, right. you know, not just in terms of economic development, but I mean, personal interaction. Yeah. I think just in my six years of living here yeah. in the downtown area has improved greatly. Oh,
2: big yeah that's, yeah, that's the thing. Even just on the surface, just looking at the things that are here, and the, I mean, just in such a short amount of time, things have changed yeah. so much. I think, I really do feel like Rock Hill has finally reached sort of a point of... And I don't think there's, point. Yeah, there's no mm-hmm. going back. I think things are... I think that the train is officially moving. I don't think there's any going back now. or it's kind or of that
0: concept that is overused, but it's a great concept—the whole idea of the tipping point. You know, yeah. it's funny. I was walking earlier today, or maybe it was yesterday, and um, I passed a lady on the street, and there was like a whole traffic jam in front of Amelies on the corner, and around the corner there was a bunch of people outside of Jimmy John's, and like, there was just a lot going on. Mm. And the lady just looked so like she was lost, and I, I said, <laughs> um, I kind of looked at her, almost you know, trying to suggest that I could help her if she was lost or something. I kind of slowed down and just looked at her, and she goes. Boy, this is a happening place, (laughs) and I'm thinking it must be person a person from Rock Hill who hadn't been downtown Mm. in like a decade and is down here going, where am I? You know what I mean? Yeah,
3: that's interesting. That's
2: odd. Yeah, it's like I told you. For I mean, I grew up here, and it was like when McHale's opened, and I went there. I think the first time I went to McHale's was to play. And like I hadn't been I'm to downtown. Oh wait, sorry. Yeah, to play music <laughs> not in a in band. Their, yeah, uh, sandbox. Because. Yeah, I sat down. Yeah, I was in. I, yeah, I was. I was 19 years old, and I went. The stairs and
1: McHale's used to be a kid's playroom. Yeah, yeah right. I sat down in the little foyer and facts. played
2: with Tonka trucks. Um, in the foyer. <laughs> um, in the foyer. Um, <laughs> in the foyer. In the foyer. But yeah, no. I and and I had not been downtown since I was a kid. I told you it's funny, but I'm pretty sure. I hadn't been down to downtown Rock Hill since it was a mall. Right. And so I literally was like when I was a child was here and it was this mall that I think is awesome. And then then I came back and was like, where the hell is the mall? I yeah. said that. I'm just kidding. But yeah, I came back and it was like it was things were happening, you know. And I just not I had no clue, I had no idea.
0: So I mean, if that wasn't happening six years ago, what brought you to Rock Hill six years ago?
1: Winthrop okay obviously yeah Were when I undergrad undergrad yeah okay. when I when I started looking at uh, colleges um, went there very quickly shot up to the top of the list
0: how come
1: I have you seen the campus I mean it's, it's great yeah um, I'm sure my dad would have loved for me to go to South Carolina but uh, I love Columbia don't get me wrong but man it's hot it's hot as yeah. hell down there I, I couldn't have done that um, and I love Charlotte I spent a lot of time in Charlotte as a kid um, in-state tuition was nice. Yeah. The scholarship money came a knocking, and uh, yeah. said, all right, you know, tell me when to be there and I'll be there, yeah. that's awesome. That's right. yeah. Um, yeah, so Winthrop was a great experience in undergrad. You know, I came to Rock Hill six years ago. You know, For me, Inman, Rock Hill was already a step up right. for me. Yeah. So I wasn't about to complain about Rock yeah. Hill, especially being so close to Charlotte. Yeah. Um, but you know, after undergrad, got married, found a job in the area, went to grad school here, uh, and after undergrad, you know, I could I started to see the ball rolling. When I was an undergrad, I actually worked at City Hall um, in the finance office, and I started to see a lot of the economic development projects that were in the pipeline. And I told my wife, I was like, look, we got to stay around at least for a little bit and see what's going to happen, because I yeah. feel good, and I feel really mm-hmm. good about this stuff. That's great. She was skeptical. She's, yeah. less, she's not skeptical now. Um, good,
0: good. That's great. It's funny, though, when you start seeing things materialize. Like, I was in a meeting today where uh, Lee, the— uh, CEO of um, Family Trust, yeah. was talking about their project they're doing over here in a textile corridor in between mm-hmm. downtown and, and Winthrop, you know, they're building their operations Oh soon, yeah. And they just started tearing down the building. Well, they've been talking about building the project for a long time and people were excited when they had the uh, drawings done because <laughs> yeah. that's tactile, you can know, you see it. Mm-hmm. And then the excitement goes away. And then now that they've got bulldozers over there, people get excited again. And then that'll go away. And then when they go vertical with steel, people get excited again. Yeah. You know, so it's it's when there's something tangible. Well and
1: then when the steel goes up, the excitement stays. Yes, you know exactly, what I mean? Because exactly. a drawing, yeah. you know, is just it's still ethereal because it still yeah. could happen or it not. You yeah. bulldoze something, it could stay an empty lot forever. That's true. When you right. put steel structures up though, people you like, know, yeah. that's a space, that's a yeah. defined area for a purpose.
2: Yeah. Uh, I think that attitude, that perspective is sort of a mark of like living in a place that you perceive as in a certain way and so it's like this disruption that says well no things are happening stuff's getting built unless you're unless you're dealing with that constantly it doesn't go away really quick because there's a vac th- you ha- right. you create this vacuum of well rock hill is defined this way yeah. and mm-hmm. that can create a vacuum and so even when counter things come to that definition you have a rock hill it's only temporary unless you're interacting with it.
0: Well, you know, I'm trying to um, help sway the opinion of some of the folks over uh, at these, in these boards in the city and stuff. You know, they, a lot of them, you know, they're all older older than me, and I'm older compared to the millennial generation that we're recruiting. So, you know, the, the ones that grew up over there, grew up in Rock Hill in their, you know, in their uh, late 40s and 50s, early 50s, not even the people in their 60s, but they have this, they keep saying, uh, it's important that Rock Hill becomes cool, they're starting to finally understand that concept, right? Because so, it is important. I <laughs> yeah, mean, it's awesome. a huge yeah, yeah, critical yeah, thing, yeah. so that's really important they understand what that means, and that that doesn't sound superficial to them. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's good that they've learned that concept, but they keep saying, but we're not there yet. Rock Hill's, uh, Young people still think Rock Hill's lame. And I'm like, no, they don't. And that's the disconnect. Yeah, they're yeah, using their yeah, exactly. own perspective that they're bringing with them from the past, and younger people don't think Rock Hill's lame.
1: Well, it's funny you should mention that, because my little brother actually um, is a student at Winthrop now. Uh, He's about to be a sophomore, and when I started at Winthrop, he was like, really, Rock Hill? He's like, you could have gone anywhere, man, why would you go to Rock Hill? And you know, as he's come up here and visited me, and you know, he started to see the same things happening and saw the connection between the city and the university and the place that this could be. He was like, you know, that's a place that I want to go to. That's great. And now he's here and living here. and. Yeah. You know, he likes to see the stuff going on and he, you know, he's a young, he's younger than me.
0: Yeah. Um, see, that's amazing, and, and
1: man. That's such a great thing to hear yeah. and see. I mean, that, that, that makes you proud it to does. live in a city like this where stuff is, you know, like we said, that inflection point earlier, yeah. Yeah. when the younger generation starts to see it and you get people after college, you know, after grad school, staying in the area, you know, that's when real things start to happen. Absolutely.
0: Right. And, yeah. and the fact that you can participate in the creating of that takes us back mm-hmm. to that idea of the ground floor. Exactly. You know, it's like not only is it cool, but I, I've helped make it cool, you know what I mean? I've mm-hmm. helped create what was there, what is there. You know? mm-hmm. That's a powerful feeling.
1: Well, I've had a great opportunity to meet a lot of, just through work, a lot of the business leaders here in the community. I've gotten to know a lot of people at the Technology Incubator. I don't know if you guys have talked about that much on your podcast. A little bit, yeah, little but bit.
0: so um, just briefly, uh, Clemson University has a Villages program, a tech Innovative Villages program where they're going out from the university and uh, working with downtown areas to develop uh, technology incubators that aren't based on the old model of technology incubators, which are kind of the real estate models. Why they fail is they end up being real estate projects because you end up with 25,000 square feet of real estate that you've got to rent. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll get the program and incubator stuff when we can, but right now we got to lease these spaces, man. You know? mm-hmm. And they fail. Well, um, this new model is, and they're in a 2,500 square foot space with eight businesses in the program. It's not about space at all.
1: And it's right here in downtown. It's Mm -hmm. right
0: downtown. It's about programmatic activity. Uh, Clemson provides the research and the backing and stuff. And then we here provide kind of the energy in the downtown to host it and whatnot. So Mm -hmm. anyway, that's my little.
1: You know, and part of it is I work in finance. So most of how I think about things is through economics. But I mean, I have a lot of friends who were, you know, involved in startups of the tech incubator, a lot of companies, you know, that I'm helping to work with. And, you know, when you have, you know, civic, you know, engagement is one piece of it. But then when you also have economic involvement from people who would start businesses that wouldn't normally start businesses mm-hmm. I mean you're on to something right. really great exactly, there. Exactly. Yeah. So to see, you know, these people who had, you know, good stable jobs before, good stable opportunities before, be willing to take that risk and say, you know what, this is a place where I want to make a commitment yeah, to start exactly. a business because I feel like it can thrive here. Right, yeah. I it's, mean it's sorry, yeah. Go
2: ahead. It's like you're saying that they're talking about like Rock Hill isn't cool enough or whatever so the thing is you can't generate cool like all you can do is create <laughs> right. it won't work you can't manufacture cool you can't
0: manufacture you cool. Can't
2: cool all you can do is create opportunity and platform yes. and, and a space and it, because cool in this context at least is another way of saying energetic and exciting
0: right we're not talking about Fonzie we're just talking right. about yeah. 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 yeah
2: or like cool like you know um, trapper keepers with like lightning bolts and stuff like well, that which exactly is actually cool. cool those are right. universally
0: yeah. cool yeah like yeah.
2: okay. hey, trapper keepers are definitely yeah. cool, um, but no, like so. It's it's, what's it's a trapper keeper. You don't want trapper oh, keeper? Wow, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the so trapper old?
0: keeper, right? Uh,
2: yeah. I'm so young. It's pretty cool. It's a it's this really cool drug. I'm <laughs> no, just kidding. No, it's this like it's like this. I don't understand why. Basically, you take a notebook and then this flap comes over with a piece of Velcro. One
3: little square of Velcro. Whoa. Yeah.
2: Otherwise, or, you got a notebook. Yeah, <laughs>
3: yeah. But this is a trapper. Yeah. But the but,
2: Velcro makes all the difference. Right, yeah. Yeah, but right. see, the the cover of the trapper keeper would have like. 3D grids and lightning bolts and stuff and like triangles and stuff, which to me is the definition
0: of cool. When I hear the word cool, I think about 3D grids and lightning bolts and triangles. You know, making Rock (laughs) Hill as cool as the Trapper Keeper is something we will never attain. But that's not what we're here to talk. But you can create the opportunity for Trapper Keeper esque cool. Yes, and you know you can't manufacture cool, but you can you can, like you said, create the platform. You know, I'm I'm working with uh, some folks over at the city talking about strategy for recruiting talent and um, one of the things I keep going back to is if if this place is perceived and it actually is so it's not like a you know, fake perception but it's perceived as having creativity, innovation, and opportunity. So creativity just being kind of like the cultural fabric of creativity, whether it's bands, music, uh, tech, whatever it is, it's just a creative place. And then innovation being where those things are, like you're talking about, Stephen, where those things are actually applied Mm -hmm. in the sense of um, something that is business application. And then opportunity is like, hey, you could do it here versus somewhere else. Like, you know, you could be in the incubator, there's money, there's there's other people, that kind of Mm. opportunity.
2: Yeah, and, and the thing is it's really like if to create that opportunity, one thing that's important is to make sure you have a, a structure and a government that's set up with openness and, the, and allows people to do things and, and supports innovation and doesn't hold people back and doesn't have too much red tape or rhetoric or things that are going to, you know, you need openness. You need willingness to have programs that, mm-hmm. and things that everyone can participate in and anyone can bring forward and stuff like that. Is a way to open things up to to cool or whatever, and facilitate to the cool.
0: Absolutely, man, and, and you know, and we got to be careful. Like the public sector dollars, you know, you have to be careful. Uh, what does it mean to support innovation? Well, I don't think that the way you support innovation is like you pick a company and you give them a huge tax break on something or something. You know, like instead, you create environments where innovation can be successful. Like us putting in the 1 gigabit internet down here and then uh, you know the potential of having free Wi-Fi and then having 1 gigabit uh, commercial services, that is a environment for innovation. Mm, it is. And
1: I think that speaks to, you know, movements that are just starting all across the com- all across the country these you know, in the industry we call them populist economics, you know. It's incentives to get the everyday person, the every man to go out and start their own business to you know find new innovative ways to raise capital
3: yeah.
1: you know to earn a salary for themselves yeah. take care of their family and that's just starting across the country that's not the traditional model no. right. of doing things at all and you sort of spoke to that with the traditional incubator model that used to exist yeah. which did used to become real estate projects but you know the way we have it set up now and you know with Winthrop and Clemson's help very low overhead beautiful space and, like, you know, like you spoke to a second ago, it is about the creation of opportunity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's been, it's been a wonderful thing to see all that yeah. start coming to fruition and actually get some stuff done.
0: It's you been know, great. we were talking about Greenville. I was at uh, the Iron Yard in Greenville recently. Yeah. And um, one of the dudes there used the phrase, um, which I have totally stolen and reused on several occasions <laughs> since. But he used the phrase, um, uh, it's, uh, bring your own jobs. Uh, bring your own job." Yeah. And I've used it, I've repurposed it into saying that we are in a bring your own jobs economy. And that either you bring your own job or you step in and co-create your job. Mm-hmm. Like I, I was thinking, um, you know, uh, we're looking at potentially hiring over the next, you know, however long it, it might take us to do it. But it's not like we have the job role defined and have the money sitting there and we're just, just trying to decide who's gonna do that. Mm-hmm. We're like having conversations with people to say, how will you help us define what this role even is like how will you co-create this job with us
1: what i think that's part of the beautiful thing that you guys talk about uh pretty consistently here on the podcast about the concept of the village yeah Mm -hmm. you know that everything is conversational is that nothing is done in a vacuum that when you try to build your business in isolation siloed off from the rest of you know the economy that you operate in you're setting yourself up for failure because if you can't interact and engage with the community around you you know you've severely limited yourself Absolutely. so I mean that's a great way to think about it I love I love that you said that that it's not about sitting on the money sitting on the opportunity saying okay well we've got all this defined, how are we gonna do it it's about engaging with those around you because there are a million ways to approach a problem yes there are a million ways to approach a problem and if you can find someone who thinks about it just a slightly different angle than you do you know, who knows how many doors that might have just opened up for you. And the
0: whole new economy is based on people. Mm -hmm. So it's not like we have a product and we have a manufacturing process, we just need somebody to push the buttons. Exactly. No, we got a damn problem, which is an opportunity because the two things are the same thing, look from one side or the other. And we need somebody (laughs) to dig in and figure this stuff out.
1: Exactly. And part of the village concept is, you know, it's how do you balance, you know, the global economy with the small town world. Mm And that's the challenge, is... And the answer. The challenge and the answer, that's exactly right. And like I was saying, in the village, you know, part of the village concept is, you know, if you think about the classical sense of the village, agricultural community, you know, with a limited amount of resources, that's the basic problem of economics, the uh, the problem is a lot more difficult than just picking the right person to do a certain field job. It's, you've got to look at everyone who's able-bodied, and sort of fit the process to their strengths right? because mm-hmm. yeah. that's what you have to do yeah. and I think that the old model of industrialism like you said pushing a button earlier you know assembly line which was you know a great thing for the American economy for the longest time but I think as we're developing we're starting to see that human autonomy the human capacity to think about problems creatively mm-hmm. you know is the essence of economic growth oh, you know yeah. that's yeah. the engine
2: we're so much closer to a society where if, if you are interested in solving problems, having ideas, coming up with things, do, do, no matter what your economical background, no matter what mm-hmm. kind of social environment you're in, you have a voice. Like, we're, we're, we're so close to that now, you know? And so it's like, we, we which is so exciting to know that in, as the future comes toward us, we will reach a point where, where we don't have any unheard voices, you know? Like, that that is, think about how many... Uh, diseases haven't been cured, how many problems haven't been fixed throughout history because of all the voices that aren't heard. And, and we're closer and closer to hearing every voice now. It's very exciting.
0: And that, you know, um, I don't want to get too deep into this, but that brings you to the whole, uh, like the power law distribution where, and I don't know if you've ever heard Clay Shirky talk about the um, nature of, of institutions versus um, like open source, like the, inter- the, the internet. It's about cracking open the power law distribution. What it is is any inherently when you have an organization, you can only hire so many people to solve a problem, right? And if you, the internet allows the ability for you to um, open that problem to people where they may just have one little piece to contribute, um, but somebody else might have a lot. And the example he gives is, um, he says, okay, let's say Flickr. If I wanted to have pictures of Iraq, I would hire a couple of photographers, traditionally. I would start an organization, I would hire a couple of photographers. They would have to travel over there and they would take all these pictures and they would take thousands of them. Well now I just go to Flickr and I type in Iraq, and there might be somebody who took a thousand, but there's gonna be a thousand people who have won. Right. And it might be the one of those that ends up being the picture that I want. And so I'm opening the voice field to like everybody, you know, because of the, the internet, possibilities possibility of the internet. And it's moving away from institutional organization and opening the idea of like point-to-point um, organization. Well, and I think
1: that's part of the beauty of it is, you know, this destruction of, you know, barriers and borders that used to exist to not only business development and growth, but business creation.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I think you know, the internet, sociological changes in the culture, you know, I think it's starting to teach people that no matter, you know, your socioeconomic status, your race, your ethnicity, your background, what you studied in college, you can make a business out of anything that you want to make Rock, a business yeah. out of. And I think that's the beauty of the marketplace that somehow has gotten lost yeah. in city well, industries for so long. somebody will pay you for to do so it.
0: Long. That's basically a business. That's why. <laughs> that's I, right. That's exactly. why prostitution is the oldest business in the world, right? Exactly. Um, <laughs> is, so
2: it, is it literally the first job ever? Because well, they be. say that. You think so?
3: Yeah. You think so? Of
0: course.
2: Okay. I feel
1: like it'd have to be crafts, but uh,
0: it have to be. It, it, prostitution would have to be the first job. <laughs> the first job. i like, know no historian. But listen, I will
1: give you this. I promise. <laughs>
2: I say prob- <laughs> probably. I say 99.9%. Yeah. But there's a possibility that somebody did something else first. Right, yeah. I don't know what. That something. They could have. They could have. Open a video a VHS rental store. That's true. What's a VHS? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm joking.
1: Um, I'm not that young. So let's... So, but seriously, though. <laughs> no,
0: no, for real. Um, so anyway... For real, please stop. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> So, Stephen, you talk a lot about economics, and um, I know you have an MBA and, and it's in finance, focus in finance. Is that Yeah, correct?
1: that is that's true, yeah.
0: So, you are um, somewhat of an economist, uh, if not you know, by title, definitely by interest. And um, you, you work currently in the financial industry, is that
1: is I do. That? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mostly deal, for some strange reason in the industry, there's a big schism between economists and people who work specifically in investments and finance side right. of the world, uh, which is kind of silly,
3: yeah.
1: I think. Uh, I think a lot of people think that economists are just theorists and that right. people who are investment managers don't worry about theory. They just look at charts and crunch mm-hmm. numbers. Um, but I, you know, in comparison to the movements that we're talking about in culture and sociological things, I think that you know, finance and economics bridging that gap is something that's happening too. And I think, especially in a small town like this, it's important to think about everything both from a theoretical perspective and a hard numbers perspective. Mm-hmm, right. And you know, a lot of times that can be really difficult to find in the industry. Thank
0: you. Yeah, okay, so you deal with investments but you very much have a kind of a philosophical bent on your perspective uh, as you manage money. Is that is that fair to say?
1: Uh that that's somewhat true. I think Part of what I think is so interesting and sort of silly about the financial industry is that it, part of it is it's usually it's an industry that's been entrenched in tradition mm-hmm. and culture for so long um, that people sort of develop whether when they're in school taking all their tests that they you know, stick to a sp- specific economist and say, well, that's what I think, that's what I'm always going to mm-hmm. stick by. or. Um, some sort of investing strategy that they always say this is this is the way to do it and this is the only way to do it um, so I, I don't approach things that way because I think one to reach the most amount of people you have to be flexible and look at everything from an individual perspective but mm-hmm. I also deal with institutions just as much as I deal with individuals okay. and especially you know in this you know living in this area has certainly cultivated a greater you know theoretical perspective in me than most hard numbers investment managers would just because you have to you know a lot um, of it is communication based is that
0: the influence of academia I think it's a little bit of both
1: I think it's I think it's a little bit of both uh I think it's academia me as a person um and you know the environment that I live in right um I think I was always meant to be an academic but I don't like writing papers so (laughs) I couldn't (laughs) stay at it any longer
0: yeah I, I just don't know how to do all the like citation uh uh grammatical stuff so that's why I don't write them
1: well in finance you don't have to learn them you just oh, as yeah. long as you're consistent you can make it up no one gives oh, okay. a damn yeah <laughs>
0: nice
1: <laughs> they're gonna redact my masters by saying that they're yeah, gonna, exactly, gonna look at my thesis
0: wow. <laughs> this guy's out i uh, like
2: the magician that gives away the secrets though yeah, <laughs> yeah <right>. exactly
0: yeah. <laughs> I just
1: got blackballed from every yeah, yeah, right. academic <laughs> yeah. institution
0: so that's um this might be a dead end and we might have to edit it out because you might look at me like I have no idea what I'm talking about because I don't um I heard somebody talk, a, a financial investment person talking about. Uh, he was contesting a theory, and he said this. I love
1: contesting theories.
0: Okay, well, this is what he said, and so I don't really know where to go from from here. I don't know what theory he's talking about, or whatever, but he said, if you were walking down the street and there were, you know, a crowd of people walking in front of you, so it's a crowded street, people walking, uh-huh. and if there was a dollar on the ground, and by the time you got to the dollar, it must be worthless because no one picked it up. And I was like, well, no, I mean, it's a dollar, so I would pick it up. And he's like, well, agreed. That's what he was, he was contesting the theory that says that it's not worth anything because no one picked it up. Is there, are you familiar with what I'm talking about? Have you ever heard that analogy?
1: No, I haven't. I mean, I guess it it speaks to the general intrinsic value that all things exhibit. You know, I think that's. I'm not sure what context he said okay. that in. I mean, we uh, should, okay.
0: Again, that's probably something we added
2: out. <laughs> <laughs> He's talking about like, the, or the reality defined by
0: society, right? Or defined right. So by The marketplace being one. Like, So, you know, you look at stocks. Like, if everybody's buying it, all of a sudden it's real valuable. Yeah. If everybody's selling it, all of a sudden it's dropping in price. You know, so it's like it, it has no inherent value. But, uh,
2: yeah, but at the same time it's like how, well, we always hear, you know, we get mad when the gas prices go up and we're like, nothing there wasn't any hurricanes why is gas prices going up <laughs> like, yeah. and then so and then you eventually hear on NPR that like uh well this speculative blah 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 and you're right. like okay so, so because of speculation I have to pay more for I gas paid, yeah. yeah so the truth is it's like even though you can say well I see that dollar I know it's worth a dollar you can't deny the reality that people not picking up the dollar creates you know like well and I
1: think part of what you touched on is sort of the beauty of and the curse I guess of economics is that if you've got a theory and you can explain it well, people automatically think you have validity. Right. Because there are right. always 100, like I said a minute ago, there's always 100 ways to solve a problem. There's a 100 yeah, ways right. to look at a problem and analyze right. it you too. Know,
0: people want to, that's true in anything, man. Articulate, yeah, I'm sorry, Chris. Oh, that's okay. I was saying people want to find that.
2: They want you, they're like, oh, yes, okay, we, we can trust you, yes, you know, like
0: people
1: want that, you know. If you are exactly.
0: articulate and confident, you can pretty much <laughs> yeah. do anything. Exactly. And you <laughs> could be completely full of crap. That's why
1: I'm sitting here right now.
0: (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm jerking, of course.
2: You know, you can be like Hitler. Right,
0: yeah. Yeah, I didn't know of any funny way to say that. It just kind of came out. The (laughs) point is, is that if you're able to present an argument that seems logical. I mean, that whole, like the whole um, Jonathan Swift thing. Yeah. The crazy thing about uh, the... Modest Proposal. Yeah, Modest Proposal, where rich uh, English people should eat poor Irish children. And he did a whole, like, um, argument that was incredibly persuasive and logical around how that made perfect sense. Well, obviously that doesn't make sense.
1: Well, I think a lot of people who also don't work in economics tend to have the reaction where when they listen to someone because of the confidence, because of the aura about the argument, they automatically think that it's true. Right. But I think what you have to do is think about economics sort of like psychology. There's been millions of psychologists, millions of economists and part of what you as a, every individual I think is important to do is develop how you believe the economy works. Right. Yeah. Because so much of psychology is subjective. Mm-hmm. Economics is equally oh, as yeah, subjective. Right. And if you have I'm breaking some, the fourth wall here. I'm about to get blackballed <laughs> from economic institutions too. <laughs> you guys are killing me.
0: <laughs> hey Mickey, how you how doing? doing? If you have um, if you have the test of application so like, let's go back to the dollar on the street, if that didn't get edited out of this podcast. that's The dollar on the street with the people walking by. If you have a test of application, you can pick up that dollar and walk into a store and see if it still buys you a candy bar. Exactly. And if it does, then you know that everybody else was silly not to pick it up. Mm. But if you go into the store and the store says, oh, I'm sorry, I, we don't we don't take that. Then you're right. like, whoa, wait a minute. What's well, going on? I think
1: part of the issue with economics and academia is that somewhere across, whether it's the decades or centuries, that they sort of have forgotten that what's more important than economic theory is how it relates to the purchasing power of the individual right, right. Yeah. cuz hey i'd be as happy as anyone to sit in an ivory tower and create mm-hmm. all these publishable papers and right. you know get a column in the new york times mm-hmm. um, but i think all too often that those opinions of the ivory tower people can sway you know common america and really what's important is how that everyday individual American citizen of the world is affected by the economic transactions that go on. And
0: Mm -hmm. you know, economics are affecting people in different ways than they used to. I I was just looking Mm -hmm. at a paper that the Brookings Institute just released, and it talked about how it was a quote that said, it was a question that was asked to millennials, and it said, and they picked these numbers, just I guess they just picked numbers based on, I don't know why, but they said, the question said, would you rather make $40,000 at a job that you are completely engaged in and happy at? Or would you rather make a hundred thousand dollars, which is a big difference yeah, yeah. at that's a job? A a yeah, yeah, at a job that you are bored and non-challenged at, and it was like sixty something, sixty-eight percent of millennials said, "I'd rather make forty thousand dollars and be engaged and happy right, than a yeah. dollars And that's a big. It's it not like forty and forty-five, dude. That's like think, a big difference. Wait,
1: well, and I right. think what's so interesting about all that is, just in recent years, I think people may have secretly thought that to themselves Mm -hmm. but now we as individuals know that oh wait more than half the people think the same way that's That's a valid thought i don't have to slave away at a job that i can't stand just for a paycheck that it's okay to lead a fulfilled life make less money and enjoy what you do
2: Right. right yeah like i looked at that article and i thought i had this positive like i was like oh my god that's so awesome like yeah you know millennials are like they're not like that, they want to work in what they believe in and stuff. But I think my dad would look at that and be like, oh, they're lazy. Yeah, right. you, if you can if you can work harder to make more money and be miserable, you do that.
0: You're like a job's a job. It's not supposed to be fun. It's a job. Yeah, it's a job. You don't have that perspective at all. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I don't either. Yeah. I certainly don't either. I mean, that's why I chose to stay here and live in the... I, you know, you can always make more money anywhere else. Yeah, right. Depending on, you know, where you are, what you do. The yeah. grass is always greener somewhere. But you know what? If you can find a place that you enjoy living where there's social engagement, economic opportunity, and you just enjoy your life there, yeah. like that's what's important. And I think that's something that's sort of coming to the forefront. It's just a more holistic approach to life itself.
0: Yeah, no, I hear you. Ben. That
1: that hasn't existed. I, maybe it existed in individuals, but it hasn't entered the public consciousness right. well, the way that it's needed to.
2: Yeah, well, it's like I mean, we've said it many times on here. It's just like, it, it, while technically, yeah, like I said, you can have this perspective that says, Oh, you don't want to make more money because you don't want to suffer at all. But then, then you, you take into account, like a, I've said on here a bunch of times, how you, what a human being is capable of is so much greater when it's something that they're bought into and they care about than if you just pay somebody to complete a service. It can never compare. You know, like one, an hour of work from someone who is inspired and bought into what they're doing is worth so much more than a 40-hour work week of someone who's just punching a clock,
0: you know? I mean, and, yeah, and you, you can, can never agree. There's a great, um, expression, uh, it's like one of these, you know, Eastern truisms or whatever. It's like, it, it's like, before enlightenment, you till a straight row. After enlightenment, you till a straight row. The point is...
1: I'm gonna need another shot to get that. <laughs> yeah. So
0: the point is, if you're sitting at a computer working for an hour, in a place where you're miserable, uninspired, and you're just trading your time for dollars, you're still sitting at the computer working for an hour. If you're Mm -hmm. enlightened, meaning that if you're um, engaged, you're making a difference, you're inspired, you're you're compelled, you're still gonna spend an hour sitting at the computer. So you're still tilling a row on the farm, Mm -hmm. still doing the work, but you're doing it in a completely different frame of mind with completely different value. When
1: I think you said a really great colloquialism a second ago, when you said you're just punching the clock.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I yeah. think that's
1: one of the great things about the new age economy is why that... Why
0: would you punch the... Wouldn't that hurt? I don't know why, why you would either.
1: You're so mad bad. about your job, you hate.
0: Why are you mad at the clock? <laughs>
2: we did actually literally when I worked at a retail giant I won't talk about. Um, we did. The, the, the Literally, the time clock was digital and it had a crack in it where somebody punched it. It really did. I'm not kidding. <laughs> the irony yeah. abounds. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm not kidding. Right. There's a crack in it. Who is this giant man of retail that you <laughs> You don't have to tell us, right.
1: <laughs> Wilfred Brimley. <Yeah>. Brimley. <laughs> that bitch.
2: We used to groom his mustache. <laughs> I don't know where the retail came into that. Oh, People man. would pay to watch.
0: Okay, so let's talk about um, the project that you participated in mm-hmm. with um, Rev and Flow. So basically, you know, the, the quick setup on it is um, we approached Winthrop uh the MBA program and said, okay, we have this technology at Day where you know you can select a building and you can put forward and prototype your idea on the use of that space. And we we thought it'd be a great thing for MBA students to do because y'all have to, you know, design businesses and do financial plans and marketing plans and all that stuff anyway. And so instead of just doing it kind of in a vacuum, an academic vacuum, you would do it based on real buildings and then you would have a social platform by which to present that to the world. So Mm -hmm. So, so tell us about your experience with the Day Remus.
1: I just picked it because it was one less test to take. Hey, I hear you. Man. I'm just kidding. No, uh, a Day Remus was uh, a great opportunity for a lot of MBA students at Winthrop. Um, I know myself and every other student I interacted with sort of walked away from it um, with a re-energized perspective on what local economics can look like. It's great. Um, I was—I mean—it was a really great experience. I really enjoyed it, and you know. I mean, even to this day, I still look at a day remus every now and then to try to see what's going on. Give people my comments, which I'm sure are unwarranted on, on many a level, like, you know, like I know better than these yeah, right. people who have owned their business for 30 years. But they're going to hear from me, no less.
0: Yeah. So what was y'all's project?
1: Uh, what Jason is alluding to was um, my involvement in the project was myself and a couple of friends. Uh, have you guys have you guys talked about a day remus on yeah. the side before about what it yeah. is? Um, and our, our job was to sort of look into how to open a new coffee shop here in town. What's ironic about the project, after we had done all of this due diligence, financial work, looked at all this stuff, Nova's opened, uh, you know, while we are in the middle yeah. of our project, and then Amelie's opened a few months later. Yeah, exactly. So it almost made our little startup null and void. But, That's funny. but luckily we were able to give but both of them a lot But it to
0: be right because it Amelie's really successful, yeah. So
1: we were validated in some way yeah. in that, uh, you know, we weren't completely off base. Um, in terms, of, it's funny because the location we were looking at um, was actually right across the street yeah. from yeah. Amelie's. And we went to look at it one day, and they were clearing out the building. We were like, "Oh, what's coming in here?" And some guy was like, "A coffee shop." Oh, I was like, "Well, wow. we're gonna pack it up. We're, yeah, done, right. we're done here, guys. Yeah. We've yeah. been proven right. We'll take our A and get out." Yeah. <laughs> That's
0: great. So, so, so basically, there were what three groups, four groups, something like that, and each group was putting forward an idea. There was a coffee shop. There was a Restaurant that was like a taco kind of theme restaurant. There was a dance club, and there was a co-work space. And um, each group put forward, you know, they selected a building and then put forward a business proposals model. for small yeah.
1: businesses here in the area. Which you know, as I guess being college students, sort of colored our idea of what we thought would be good for the town, obviously, right. dance club. Right. Yeah. Only under 25, 18 to 25-year-olds would like that. Other than that, yeah. not yeah. many. So you can tell that it came from college well, though, students. I'll tell you what,
0: man, that was an interesting one because it's easy to poke fun at that one, but um, you know, the when I was in Asheville, um, they were they were just starting at some of the bars to create these clubs that were dancing clubs, and this yeah. was before Zoom, Zumba or whatever it's called had got got real popular them you know, recently. You know,
1: Zumba is an exercise, not a dance club. I know, right? but, oh, yes. but
0: it's the point is it's like a it's like a dance exercise or whatever yes, you know. Yes, yes. So so there had been these dance clubs, and I mean dance clubs, not like in the sense of I mean that's the wrong phrase because I don't mean a club like a club. I mean like Is that a, what
1: you think of a club still? It's like Night at the Roxbury, right? old yeah. Ferrell? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Again, I'm old, but
2: <laughs> I know what, I know what dance clubs are. I've seen the movie Footloose with Kevin Bacon. Oh, well,
0: that's true. Yeah,
2: and I know what dancing
0: no, I mean, uh, looks like. I mean, club where people get What's together footless? like around an idea, like a book club. Like we be clubbing, yeah. No, I mean like a book club, man. Way. Or like in these, this is a dance club in the sense of that they get together and they teach each other oh, a dance dances. Organization. Yeah, an organization, okay. and they bring in you know, like they learn you know <laughs> Latin dances and they learn. To, to, to do like the Southern Shag, you know, do all mm-hmm. this stuff. They, they learn different dances as a club, as a group. And that was going on in Asheville when I left there 10 years ago.
1: Which is a great idea, yeah, by fantastic. the way. Yeah, it's
0: fantastic. Yeah, and it gets people of all ages into a space doing fun things that they really like. And then at night, those same spaces were bars. But during the day, a bar is empty, and they wouldn't open till 5. Well, some bars are full, but, yeah, right but yeah, true, yeah. these, these bars wouldn't open till 5, and so they're trying to figure out how to use their space, mm-hmm. and they started having uh, these, like, yeah. 3 o'clock yeah. dance clubs. That's a great that, idea. That
1: I would fantastic. absolutely love to see something like that yeah. be done here in town.
0: So there's, oppor- there's all kinds of opportunities that are hard to... Um, Pigeonhole, you know, hard to predict.
1: They really when are. When you yeah. have
0: space and you have collaboration, and you have open conversation. I think that's kind of the theme of our.
1: Well, and one of the people that I actually met through a day, not necessarily our project, a day remus, but just through using a day remus, mm-hmm. has been talking about bringing um, like a wine bar, a wine room here downtown. Yeah. Which, firstly, I think would be the best idea that's ever hit downtown. If there was a wine bar here, I would never, I'd never leave. That'd be totally awesome. Uh, But I was talking to them and I thought, you know, what would be great for a downtown area like this is to do things like jazz nights.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm. I mean, how many people would love to come? Oh, you
0: studied jazz for two weeks. That's why you said jazz. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He's a jazz musician, so (laughs) he's
1: biased. No, but I would absolutely. I think a lot of people would feel the same way, though. You know, here on Main Street, that'd be a nice place to do jazz nights. Absolutely. I mean, tell me that's not a perfect date night with your yeah, significant absolutely. other. Yeah, Come yeah, out, yeah, have a yeah. few glasses of wine. I mean, we're talking upscale stuff here. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people on Rock Hill would like that. I agree with that. Yeah, because you have Maybe to. Maybe that's just me.
0: No, no, no. you got to drive to Charlotte for that kind of stuff now, you know, and, and that's one thing that we're lacking. And the places that have tried to open to be upscale ha- have struggled because it's like you can it's hard to do full on upscale here because it is that's true the limited population that wants full on upscale on a regular basis and so you try to do a hybrid where it's kind of upscale kind of not but then if Dixie and I my wife and I are going to go to a nice dinner we don't want to go to a place that's um, kind of nice like it's nice for lunch yeah. but not nice for dinner like we want to go to a really nice yeah, place right. yeah exactly. you know what I mean yes
1: yeah, so well and i think part of that is built into the expectation like you had mentioned earlier is, you know, living in Rock Hill, you sort of have this idea of what yeah, it should be. Yeah, it. So I think a lot of people yeah. here in town think that, well, it's Rock Hill, so...
0: You can't do that. Yeah. Yeah, you, Hill,
1: you, yeah, you can't have anything crazy nice here. Charlotte's 20 minutes away. What the hell do I care? I'll just get in the car, grab the lady, and drive yeah. up to, you know, wherever I want to go
0: in Charlotte, but... Man, I saw a presentation of this guy. I interrupted you. That. No, 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 please I'm go sorry. ahead. I saw a presentation. This guy talked about um, financing, and he was talking about, um, he used the example where he said, in traditional financing models, you're going to do all your traditional steps. So if a guy wants to open a sushi bar in a uh, decret- what you would define as like a decrepit downtown, that you would run your kind of circles, you know, one mile, two miles, three mm-hmm. miles, whatever, and you would do your financial analysis and you would say, no way I'm lending not you this possible. money, man. It's yeah. absolutely not possible. And what you don't know as an institution based on those graphs and metrics and stuff, you have no idea that this is the hippest chef In town, he's got a huge Mm -hmm. network. This is the burgeoning uh, little area that's going to be the next cool thing. You have no metrics around that kind of social gut feel stuff because you're applying these kind of uh, old-school analytics to this situation. It lacks all that tapped into ness Well, it's
1: analytics and expectation. You know, like I mentioned earlier, the things that you had said before. But I think what's great about it is the expectations of this town are changing.
3: Mm -hmm. You know,
1: it's great because I work with... um, with two other partners, one who's the president of our company, who's um, in his late 60s, and another guy who's in his 30s, um, and to watch—they both are from, lived in Rock Hill their whole life, mm-hmm. and it's been great watching their expectations change over time yeah, uh-huh. to what the town can be. Interesting, yeah. And, you know, and I think I think age plays a little part in that. Like mm-hmm. we talked about earlier, I think that the younger people are starting to see what the town can be, Absolutely. and now I think that you know the little bit older crowd can see what it can be and you know as, as soon as we get the age extremes of you know the baby boomers and then the college kids and younger yeah, right. mm-hmm. if they can both see what the town can be then you've really made a difference oh, yeah. because then you have a true collective vision yeah. Yeah. of not only what the town embodies but what it can become.
0: Right. Yeah. Well let me say this Steve it's been a pleasure having yeah. you on the podcast man um, you know it, it was great working with you when we did that project a, a year and a half two years ago whatever it was um, you know I'm involved in so many meetings here locally and so many conversations as I travel around the different communities about how do we, or how are we gonna be successful in the new economy? And it always comes back to talent recruitment. You know, It's always where we end up. And when we have conversations about talent recruitment, it just brings to mind people like yourself. It's like, who's gonna come here, stay here, invest here, build here, create a job here, and then get involved in the conversation here? And why, you know? So it's a pleasure to have the folks, the the, the ilk, you know, that we are trying to recruit. It's not like, uh, do you are you a do you work on a computer X amount of hours? Are, do you wear t- skinny jeans? You know, it's not. It's it's it's, it's, it's not <laughs> it's about. Cool. Yeah. Get him
2: in there. Yeah. Look at those
0: jeans. Get that guy.
2: <laughs> look how tight those Lasso that guy. <laughs>
0: look at that mustache. <laughs> It's ironic. It's all hell. Get him over here. It's ironic. That's hilarious. Um, So anyway, it's not about any of that. All that stuff's fashion, which fashion is interesting and important and all, but especially the mustache. Yeah. Yeah. What's What's important is, it's about where do people spend their time, energy, effort, and talent. You know, Mm -hmm. where do you pour yourself? You know, we are all uh, pouring ourselves somewhere. Where do you pour yourself? And we want people to do that here. We want people to grow this place. And come be part of the ground floor, and every community wants that. Mm-hmm. So, so anyway, we, we we're you're an asset to this place, and we appreciate you being on the podcast.
1: Uh, you know, I was very happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation, Jason. It's been a pleasure. Chris, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Micah, for being our sound guy. We appreciate it.
0: Absolutely, a silent nod from sound man.
2: <laughs> Has anyone ever told you you look exactly like Inspector Gadget? <laughs>
1: By Inspector Gadget, I'm assuming you mean the Ferris Bueller movie and not the terrible cartoon that used to come on uh, on Nickelodeon in the morning. Yes, the
2: movie where Ferris Bueller portrays the guy from Godzilla who is Inspector Gadget. Ferris
0: Bueller's a good actor.
1: He is a good actor, (laughs) so
2: I will will take that as a compliment. Every (laughs) every year I watch the Oscars and Ferris Bueller doesn't get the Oscar, I'm furious. furious.
3: (laughs) Ferris Bueller
0: um, beat up Godzilla (laughs) as Inspector Gadget. Yeah, right. I think you look at the cartoon Inspector Gadget and the real Ferris Bueller.
1: <laughs> I, that's either a compliment or very insulting. I'll have to Google image nope, cartoon right. inspector gadget on my phone when I get yeah, in there. But you
2: gotta balance that with the real Ferris Bueller, right. which yeah. doesn't
1: exist. This so
2: <laughs> is pretty much open.
1: He does exist. <laughs>
3: yeah. Okay, good job. Well Alright.
1: Thanks again guys. I appreciate yeah. it. It's a pleasure being here.